Okay, my friends, it is sermon time. And today, as we often do, we're going to play around with a story that's in the Bible. It's this really weird and wonderful story. And we're playing around with this particular story because I think there are a couple conversations going on within it that we need to hear. Because that's the thing, right? That's what we do, right? We have conversations. This whole faith and spirituality thing we're doing, this whole becoming human thing we're doing, it's not so much about ending conversations as it is about having conversations. It's not so much about having the right answer as it is asking the right question. It's not so much about being certain as it is about being curious. That's what Jesus invites us into. He invites us into this never-ending, ongoing process of exploration, of wondering, of conversation. These things that actually move us deeper and deeper and deeper into life as it was meant to be. And today we're going to have two conversations, two things for us to chew on. The first one is the alternative to putting those people on the island. And the second, what to do when you see God's butt. Yeah. That's what we're talking about today. The alternative, alternative to putting those people on an island and what to do when you see God's butt. Are you with me? Are you ready for this? Let's get into the story. So the story, um, you can find it right here. I'm not going to read it to you. You can look it up. Um, it takes place within the larger story of the Exodus which is that huge liberating story of God freeing the people from slavery and leading them into the promised land. And our story takes place right after the golden calf incident. And that's that time when Moses, he went up this mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God. But the people he left behind, they thought Moses was taking too long, so they built a statue a baby cow statue out of gold, and they said, this is our new God, and they threw this huge sex party to celebrate, you know, as one does. But Moses and God, they found out about it, and Moses, out of anger, he broke the Ten Commandments, and God said, you know what, I'm just going to kill them all. And this, this is where it gets interesting. Unless you count adulterous sex parties as interesting. This is where it gets really interesting. Because after that, Moses and God had this huge argument. They had this huge throwdown. Where God's like, I'm just going to kill them all. Look what they did. They clearly lost their way. These people are useless. But Moses, he comes back at God. And he says, God, you can't just kill them all. You can't just do that. That's not who you are. And God comes back to Moses and says, fine, fine, fine. If you insist, you know what? I'm just going to plague them instead. But again, Moses is like, God, you can't do that. What about the whole I'll be your God and you be my people thing? You can't just plague them. And again, God says, fine, but I'm done with them. You guys can get to the promised land on your own. I'll send an angel to make sure you get there safely. And again, Moses comes back yelling at God and saying, no, you can't do that. That's not who you are. That's not what you're about. You need to come with us. And God finally changes their mind and says, fine. I'll go with you. And let's just pull over here because this, this is amazing. Because did you catch what's going on there? Did you see what happened? God changed their mind. Yeah. Moses made God change their mind. I know. I know. Now, as strange as that may sound, there's, it's something that we see all throughout the Bible, actually. This is not a rare occurrence. 
throughout scripture, there's this really ancient conversation going on that challenges one of our really conventional ways that we talk about God. And that's that God doesn't change, that God can't be moved, that God is fixed, static, and complete, that God, as those hymns say, God is unchanging. And yet here in this story, this ancient conversation would say something very different. It says that if God is love, then God must change because that's what love does. Love bends, love flexes, love learns, love ebbs and love flows. Love changes because it's in relationship. And if you've been in love, you know that, don't you? You know it changes you. It requires us to change and adapt and move and become something different. We're not the same person we started out as when we're in love. And that's what love does. It requires an openness that will always lead to change and movement. And one of the really beautiful conversations we see in stories like this is around how God isn't fixed and unchanging, but how God is able to change and learn and grow because God is love and that's what love does. Yeah, huge, huge shift in how we think about God. God can change. God can be moved. Yeah. But if that one's a bit too big for you, if that one needs to marinate a bit longer, here's another point that this story really makes, and this is where we're going to camp out today. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to assume that you, like me, were taught growing up that to argue is a bad thing. Anyone? Anyone ever taught that? Yeah. It's something that we all picked up growing up. We were taught to keep our voices down, to not get riled up, to always be polite, to not rock the boat, to choose to keep the peace instead of choosing to argue. Yeah, anyone? Yeah. And if you are, if you're an Enneagram 9 like me, you know this so well. Don't argue. Don't have conflict. It's bad. Get the heck out of there. And this is where that other point the story is making kicks in. This point that says that arguing is not bad, but arguing is actually holy. Yeah, yeah. There's something about arguing that makes it holy. And that something isn't just the power of speaking our truth. It's not just standing our ground. It's not just being vulnerable and courageous. It's not just speaking passionately about things that matter. There's something else going on here. As beautiful and good as all those things are, there's something else that can make arguing holy. And what can make arguing holy is doing all those things while at the very same time, remaining open to the possibility that you might be wrong. While all at the same time respecting the humanity of the other. While actually hearing what they're saying. And being willing to have their reality shape and color your own. Yeah. Yeah, that's what can make arguing holy. That's what makes it creative and generative. It's then that new ideas can happen. It's then that we can move closer together instead of further apart. It's then that something more happens than just yelling, I'm right, at one another. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Yeah. 
it takes it away from that and makes it into this entirely new, creative, generative thing that's full of possibility. It's there. It's there that arguing can become holy. And as people invited into being holy, which is really just a churchy word for being different, one of the questions that we have to ask is, well, how do we do that? How do we practice the art of holy argument? And how do we practice it? Certainly with our friends, our partners, our colleagues, and our kids. But let's get super real. Let's go where it really counts. How do we practice it with the people we know are wrong? Yeah. How do we practice it with the people who think black and indigenous lives don't matter? How do we practice it with people who think women should just be silent and submissive? How do we practice it with people who say all Muslims are terrorists or the earth is disposable or who think the poor can be exploited? How do we practice it with the people we want to put on an island far, far, far away from us? Yeah. How do we practice it with them? I have no idea. I don't know. I struggle to answer that one. And while I think there is something to the whole don't cast your pearls before swine thing, there are some things we just can't stand down on. There are some things we just can't let go of. There are some things that we need to hold people accountable to. And so while I don't have a good answer, here's what I know. And it's really more of a, a trust than anything. There's a power to arguing. And there's a power to arguing because there is a power to sharing our stories. There is a power to speaking our truth. There is a power of relentlessly telling someone what we think and what we feel. There's a power to standing up and speaking out. And because the alternative of just yelling isn't an option, because we can't just put those people on an island, we have to persist. We have to keep arguing. We have to trust, we have to hope that the power in those things is enough. And one day, maybe one day, our point can be made and people can change and something new and beautiful can happen. Yeah, we have to persist. And we see that in this story. Moses, he knows that killing all those people is wrong. Moses, he knows that giving them a plague just can't happen. Moses knows something, and he is resilient. He persists, and eventually God changes their mind and says, okay, okay, you win, I'll go with you. You are right, Moses. And so with Moses back on the same page with God, and God's going to go with them to the promised land, Moses, he's feeling good. He's on this spiritual high. He's like, yes, I'm doing my job. And he turns to God and says, God, show me your glory. Which is to ask to see God's presence. It's to see God in all of God's glory. It's to experience the fullness of the divine presence. But instead of saying, sure, man, as you might expect, this is what God says. God says, Moses, um, I can't do that because if you see all my glory, if you see my face, you'll die. But here's what we'll do. 
I'm going to put you behind this little rock here, and I'm going to cover your face with my hand, and I'm going to walk by you. And then I'll remove my hand, and you can see my back. And again, we're going to pull over here because who has got some questions? I mean, why would Moses die if he saw God's face? What's up with that? Didn't he just see God's face? What changed between the argument and now? And those are all good questions, and we could get lost in those questions, but because I have the microphone, we're not going to answer them today, and we're going to offer something instead. Something I think um, is actually more important, something that's a bit more substantial, something that this story is giving us. And this is what I think this part of the story is saying. Sometimes you see God's face, and sometimes you see God's butt. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you see the fullness of God. And sometimes you just see the wake of God. Sometimes you'll be with God and sometimes you'll be behind God. And this is the thing the story is trying to tell us. This is a thing about this life we're here trying to create, this spiritual life, this life of being connected and with God. Sometimes you'll see where God is. And sometimes you'll see where God was. Sometimes you'll see that God is with you. And sometimes you'll see that God is ahead of you. And here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about those moments when you realize that God isn't with you, but God's up ahead of you. Here's what to do when you see God's awake. You can't stay put. You can't stay there. You have to follow. You have to catch up. And the thing about leaving things behind, whether it's physical things, whether it's conceptual things, or whether it's practical things, you have to follow. You have to follow the God who moves ahead. It means leaving things behind. And now that could be anything, really. That could be jobs. That could be ways of worship. That could be relationships. That could be practices. That could be values. That could be habits. That could be real physical places, real ideas, or real practices, but whatever it is, you have to leave it behind. You have to follow. You can't stay there. Yeah. Yeah, if we ever find ourselves looking out and we see God's back, we can't stay put. We have to move forward. We need to do that hard but sacred work of leaving things behind and following the God who brings life. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you see God's face and you can soak it up. But other times you see God's butt and you've got to follow. you got to follow. You have to follow. Yeah, because it's there. It's in the following. It's in the movement that you'll find the things that we're looking for. And so my friends, just a couple of conversations uh, for you today. The art of holy arguing and what to do when you see God's butt. And so as you head into whatever is next, um, take these things with you. Engage in that holy art of arguing. Have a goal of moving closer towards the person instead of further away. Have a goal of understanding instead of proving that you're right. And if what you're seeing right now is God's butt, if all you're seeing is the wake of God, if God is no longer where you knew God to be, 
Say your goodbyes. Do your grieving. And step forward. Follow God into what is next. And as difficult and as hard as that may be, trusting that it will be somewhere good and beautiful and full of meaning. So as you do those things, my friends, may grace and peace be with you.